we'd like to read our scripture lessons for today. They're all New Testament passages, two epistles and one from Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23 is our first text. Listen here to God's word. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Amen. Then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 24. This is a rarely read passage. Uh, Hebrews 11 is much more familiar with people. It's the faith chapter and all that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is the discipline chapter, the first part of it. And then uh, where we begin, it goes from discipline into what we're brought into. It's really very good. Uh, The whole book of Hebrews is about this difficult transition from Mosaic law being a source of salvation to Christ. Not throwing out the law, but seeing where our source of salvation lies, where, from whence it emanates. So this, this passage is a key passage for that. Listen here to God's word. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Amen. 
And our primary text today is from Acts chapter 21. We'll read verses 15 through 26. The Apostle Paul's been making his way toward Jerusalem for some time. He left originally from up in Macedonia. He followed his travels. He stopped at uh, Tyre and came down to Caesarea. Now from Caesarea he goes up, and uh, we'll see what happens there. Listen here again to the Word of God. After these days we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. You all know about Nason, right? Very familiar name. We don't know a thing about him. Here it is, though. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. They said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. <clears throat> Therefore do this that we, be, that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and, what is, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification, until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Father, we bow in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're before you, and we are eager to hear you. We long for your word. We long for your word to speak into our hearts and into our lives. So come, holy God, minister faithfully, we ask, for our good and for your great glory. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. The reason we take a Storm Lake missions trip each year, at least we have for the last 21 or 22 years, we got a uh, connected up there through Johnny Stoltzfus. Uh, I don't see June Burkholder here. He's her uncle. Johnny's in his 80s now. He was a missionary. He left in the, in the mid and early 50s and went up there when it was just nothing was there uh, in terms of Christian outreach and he was a missionary there. And uh, he eventually got us connected there and we've been going up since 1992, I think. He told a story that I thought was interesting uh, in light of the title of today's sermon, No Offense Meant. 
he told, he'd been there for a number of years, and he'd, he learned the language quite well, and he was connected with all the people, and, and they trusted him, and he trusted them. They, they still think he's, he's an elder. You know, he's, he's a guy who has great respect among them. But he was on a cross-country, maybe four or five-day trip with him, going from somewhere to somewhere else. I don't know, remember the, the details. But it was interesting. They'd have to camp out, on, they were going on dog sleds. I mean, that's, no roads, it's on dog sleds, okay? And uh, so they have to camp out at night. And he always thought, well, how come these Indians don't get wood in so they don't have to get in the middle of the night and get wood to put on the fire to stay warm? So he'd get wood and put it in there so he could just reach out and throw another piece on there to keep the fire going. Come to find out some, I think years later, from the perspective of the native folk, he was a lazy white man. Afraid to get up during the middle of the night and go get some wood. He offended them. Lazy white man wouldn't do that. From Johnny's perspective, here were some improvident Indians. Didn't have enough sense to get some wood in there so they wouldn't have to get up. Now, who was right? Neither one. I mean, neither one was wrong. You just need to have wood to put on the fire, right? So each was doing what they thought was good and right, did not in, uh, intend to offend the other party, no offense meant, but some offense was taken nonetheless. Now, it's similar to the situation in Jerusalem when Paul arrives there that we, we read about today. The, the, the year is about A.D. 57. So it's been 25 years since Jesus died, his passion resurrection and ascension. It's been 25 years since the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell and thousands were converted. That whole time of, of uh, folk among there were, were just thousands converted in the space of just a couple of months. By the way, among those people who were converted then was Nason, the guy we read about here where it says he was a, it says he was a disciple of long standing. Uh, the Greek word is archaios which means our archaeology comes from, here, from the very foundation. So, and the reason that I think that Luke mentions him here, that he stayed there, is because he used him as one of the sources to find out what happened in those early days, because Luke was not there. So he says, well, this, this nation, who I got some stuff from, he was there from the beginning, from, from Pentecost. So 5,000 people. Uh, now, it didn't keep on going like that. In due time, you know, that was a visitation from God. And... The church continued to grow, but in much more slow and regular ways. It had staying power, but you don't keep adding 5,000 people a week unless the Spirit of God is moving in exceptional ways. Now, the head of the church in Jerusalem, when Paul gets there, he knows this, is James. James is the uterine brother of Jesus. Mary's his mother, but uh, obviously... Uh, Joseph is his father, in a way that uh, Joseph was not the father of Jesus. This James should not be confused with other Jameses, James the Less or James John's brother. This is the James who wrote the book of James. Right after Hebrews, where we read, you get the book of James. He was known as James the Just. Everyone across the board, no matter what their religious affiliation, had great respect for James. Uh, for his piety and for his faith and his faithfulness. 
In fact, he was called Old Camel Knees because his knees were, were calloused from being on his knees praying, getting up, and they knew that that's what camels did. They called him Old Camel Knees, known for his piety. James will die as a martyr in the early to mid-60s. Uh, he'll be taken to the top of the temple, a high precipice there. They'll ask him, it's on the day of Pentecost, they ask him to, to say why people should not believe in Jesus. He cannot say that at all. They push him down. Off there, he falls to the ground. He's not dead, and they stone him. That's, Eusebius relates that uh, account, but uh, that's what happens to this James that we read about here. Now, the Jerusalem church is thousands of members, many different congregations. Uh, we don't know how many. Uh, in AD 70, when Jerusalem was, was raised by the Romans, uh, sources say that there were over 300 synagogues in Jerusalem. Uh, how many churches were, we don't know, but a, a lot of them. Uh, but the church that's at Jerusalem, while it's the mother church, is in a very culturally difficult place to some degree because they're there where the temple is, where the priests are, where all this stuff keeps on happening, and it influences the church. And they're at a crucial time in history because God is transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant. That's why we have an older covenant and a newer covenant. And they're right in the heart of that. And how do they relate to the older covenant and yet still be rightly related and going into the new covenant? Hard, hard place for them to be. And in, as you know, there's ups and downs. There's, you, you learn what's right, you learn what's wrong. Uh, the book of Hebrews, as I said before, was written all about that. How they're going from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Now, that's figuratively speaking, from legalism by the law that gets your righteousness before God to Mount Zion, the church of the firstborn, that is, who, who inherit the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the church at Jerusalem had heard these rumors and tales and accounts of Gentiles coming to the faith, and they wonder about it. There are all sorts of rumors circulating. Among those rumors, Luke relates here, is that Paul is teaching the Jews who live in the, among the Gentiles not to circumcise their children and not to keep the customs. Now, it's interesting that the one custom he mentions is the custom of, of uh, circumcising your kids. You wonder, why does he do that? Uh, because for Paul, circumcision was neither here nor there. He says that in 1 Corinthians 7. Circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. What's of account is faith before God. Uh, my own thinking is that this is an early intimation of infant baptism. The Jewish people are not going to do nothing with their kids when they're born. They know that when you receive a gift from God, a child, you need to acknowledge that in a proper way before God. And my own suspicion is that the reason they're accused of, he's accused that you say we should not circumcise our kids is because we'll have your child baptized. And uh, a covenant child in relationship to you as a family and, and go forward from there. That's my own thinking. That's added in. Uh, so you don't have to believe that. Now, the church had gone through a time of famine. Uh, Agabus had prophesied that, and they were still struggling somewhat, and Paul had arranged to bring an offering, a collection for them from all the Gentile churches. The offering was meant to be helpful in a practical sense. They needed some funds. It was also meant to solidify the common bond of faith in Christ, a brother helping a brother. 
The problem is there are three groups of people there in Jerusalem. There are Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, people who are Jews but who are Christians who perceive Christ. There are Gentile Christians, and there are Jews who reject Jesus as the Messiah. Now, Paul has given offense. He did not mean to give offense, but he had. The Jews who reject Jesus, Paul offended deeply. As we follow him across the Middle East, we've seen how in city after city, he's thrown out of the synagogues. So offensive that they, they throw him out of the synagogues. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are not sure what to think. And so James, the elders, get together with Paul and say, we need to do something to uh, eliminate this suspicion, this, these rumors that are going on. What should we do? And they develop a plan to demonstrate common faith. Paul will pay what's necessary for four men who've been in the midst of Nazarite vows. They have to offer some more sacrifices and stuff. He'll pay for their, the finishing up of their Nazarite rites, and he himself has to go and be purified because he's been out in Gentile land if he's going to go into the temple. And so he does that. Uh, and what it says here in verse 26 is that he took them in and the next day purifying himself along with them went into the temple giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them and there was no problem they went in did their stuff and they came out so it would seem that the goal is attained Christian fellowship is built up Paul's done all these things end of story right not quite both then and now Things happen as a result. Our issues with Paul sometimes are this. Should Paul have done this at all? Should he, should he have given him? Should he have done this at all? Uh, we have people, good, solid, evangelical people, who object to his Jerusalem visit, period. God had told him through the mouth of other Christians, don't go to Jerusalem. Now we talked about that a little bit in a previous week. The Holy Spirit just said, here's what's going to happen to you. They said, don't go if that's going to happen to you. Paul said, I must go. Uh, some evangelical folks object to the plan, the plan which was devised by James, the elders, and Paul, that he should offer these sacrifices. It was compromising his values. It was confusing people. He should not have done that at all. Uh, but there's nothing in Scripture that denounces either the plan or the outcome. It's just, it's just not there. He was not denying Jesus, nor was he denying new life in Christ. He was not trusting in sacrifices, but was following patterns long established that pointed to Christ. Still point to Christ, and say. As I said, we're in a transition period of 40 years where God is, that's a hard thing to change. Are you experiencing that yet here? Hard thing to change. Takes a while. <laughs> And to change your whole religious perspective takes a while. And God gives them time to make that adjustment. But in 40 years of AD 70, the temple will be torn down, destroyed, to be built no more. Jews won't be able to worship. What are they going to do? Uh, he had done this very thing before. We saw it in Acts chapter 18 when we read there that he kept a vow, cut his hair, went up to Jerusalem on his way from one spot to another. Now, doing this offended some people. I'd like to talk about our interactions with the Storm Lake Mitchell's trip. Uh, we seek to give offense, we seek not to give offense when we go. We dress differently. 
girls wear different clothing up there than they would wear here. Is that fair to say? Yeah. The reason being, we don't mean to give an offense. Uh, we learned over time to hold vacation Bible school at different times. First year we went up, I can remember, let's have vacation Bible school at 9 till noon. Well, no one's up till noon. You hold Bible school all you want, but no one's going to be there. You know, you, 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 you just can't do that. So we had to adjust. Just the way it worked out, the way we had to do. Uh, we see cultural issues that are different than ours, and we have to say, well, we'll go along with that. There are other cultural issues that we say we need to speak to. So, for instance, one of the things we spoke to this year, talked about in class with the students, was the issue of suicide, which is a problem up there, which they, there's developed a teaching and a, a way in which it says suicide is all right. It's a good thing. And there's, we won't go into all the reasons for that, but we had to say, well, no, and do some teaching to say suicide is wrong. It's the killing of self. It's murder of self. Self-murder. Uh, which may have been offensive to some. Now, how do we make this application to our situation here, where we are, in our lives? I have two things to say. One, avoid bitterness. Again, the text from Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear. See to it that no root of bitterness springing up among you uh, defiles you, causing, you know, defiles many. Don't, don't allow that. So don't take offense and hold on to it. Now, we're prone to do that. I'm prone to remember what Randy Annis told me on our trip out to Columbus in 1985. You know what Randy said back then? That booger, you know? We're prone to hold on to things and take offense at that. Don't. Avoid bitterness. See to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and defiles many. Uh, don't hold on to it. How do you get rid of bitterness? How do you not have that? Uh, well, first of all, say, well, you know, what Randy said to me was really, this is all made up. Randy didn't do any of this, so just so you know. <laughs> Randy knows this, but you may not. You may think, that Randy, well, well what about him? He just said, to, I say, that Randy, you know what he said, and, 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 and uh, I have to say, well, what he did, what he said was really wrong and, and not right. I forgive him. God, I forgive him. I ask you to forgive him. And then pray for God's blessing on him. And pray, continue to pray that way until you have peace in your heart. So there's nothing between you. All right, that's just a, a practical way to do that. Avoid bitterness. Number two, seek to accommodate where you can. That's what 1 Corinthians 9 is all about. Paul said he became all things to all men. Uh, worship. We all could, do, do you, is it wrong to sing songs like we sing today? Or is it, should we have drums? Should we all dress formal? You know, worship has all kinds of elements that people can get uptight about. Uh, and Paul is suggesting here that we need to know who we are, worship the way we will, and accommodate ourselves to the worship where we are. We try to do that. How about dress? How should people dress? We have people here in shorts. We have people here in suits. We have people here in all kinds of manner of things. How should people dress? Well, what's the basic purpose of wearing clothes? To cover your nakedness. So dress in a way that's modest and that is all right. And I would suggest accommodate yourself to where, where you're going. It'll depend on where you're at. And we have a, we're more formal here than some churches, less formal than others. 
How about food? Food is now an issue. What you gonna eat? Food was an issue back then. Know what you like, what you'll do, what you won't do, but don't make that an issue that's gonna have your fellowship with other folks compromised. So avoid bitterness, do not, or do seek to accommodate where you can, but be faithful on moral issues, life issues. Don't compromise your morals. Don't compromise your doctrine. What's true, what the scriptures teach about God, about the nature of sin, the fall of man, the way in which we're redeemed, the Christian life in matters of faith in doctrine, life in doctrine, be faithful therein. I think it's inevitable that we're going to offend people. You will and I will. Don't get upset when that happens. Learn from that where you can. Go back and say, I'm sorry. I've had to say that to a lot of people. You know, I'm sorry, Joan, for what I said about you or said to you the other day. Uh, I apologize. I did not think that that was taken that way. So I apologize. Or whomever it may be, we should do that. Uh, but there's sometimes when you'll say things or you'll do things that people are offended by, that's just the way it's going to have to be. I would like to accommodate you more, but I cannot because it, it, it brings into question doctrine or morality. We cannot. Now, here we ended today with verse 26. Things are fine. Folks, things are not going to stay fine. Things get fired up. We'll learn on rally day what it means to be fired up in the wrong way and in the right way.